Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. As we adapt in this season of pandemic, we are meeting in our house churches, in person and online, as a primary space for worship, formation, connection, and encouragement. Teachings like this are one way we engage with scripture, seeking to become more like Christ. These teaching podcasts also serve as a conversation starter for deeper engagement at House Church. We're glad you're listening. Hello. Do I have this on right? Okay. Um, it is, this is so exciting, you guys. This is really awesome. And it's really exciting. Um, I'm really excited to be able to share the next installment of our Joy Strength series that we've been in for um, a, few, a, few, a few months. If I do something wrong, just like wave me down. Um, but before I share what I'm going to share, I just want to reiterate the foundation for this series that's already been laid um, um, uh, in the last couple months, that um, the joy of the Lord is our strength, and that this joy is rooted in presence. And this, we foster this joy by abiding in the Lord. Um, it's rooted in presence, and it's being in the presence of the God who is always glad to be with us. Um, this joy can become a stronghold for us, a place of strength, a place of security, a place that is indestructible, a place that is unshakable. And that's, I believe that's who we are called to be as a people, to have this unshakable, unshakable strength. Um, so today I'm going to be sharing on the joy of security, um, presence, identity, and the goodness of God. Um, I don't want to say any more about this current season of history that we're all in together that, that has already been said, but I do want to say that it's absolutely crucial that we be a presence-driven people. Um, not a fear-driven people, not a political stance-driven people, or a, a money checkbook balance-driven kind of people, because I was one of those before, um, but that we be a presence-driven people. Um, and I know that that phrase can kind of be a little nebulous or unattainable, or maybe even, um, a little intimidating, um, the thought of being in the presence of God. Um, so we need to set a few things straight. We need, to, we need to get squared on a few things so that we will want to be in the presence of this God who is always glad to be with us. So what if I said, God is good all the time? That's right. That's right. Um, I love it, us old timers, like that's a slogan that we've grown up with and it's absolutely true. It is absolutely true. And, it's, and I love confession. I love when I'm in a crowd and, and someone throws that out there and we all, we all respond and it's good. And it's good for our ears to hear it, but what's better is if that actually goes from our ears deep down into our souls, into the depths of our knowers, that God is good that our lives are anchored on the goodness of God. Now, why is that important? Why is it important that our lives be anchored on the goodness of God versus 
on the love of God or on the holiness of God or on the purity of God. I mean, these are all characteristics, beautiful characteristics of God. But why, why goodness? Why, why would it be important for us to, to be anchored on his goodness? And so here's the thought. Because if he's not good, then we won't trust him. And if we don't trust him, we'll question his motives. And if we question his motives, that can lead us into all manner of wacky lies and crazy thinking. I'm going to say it again. If we are not anchored in his goodness, if we don't, if we don't trust that he's good, we don't believe that he's good, we won't trust him and we'll question his motives. And that can lead us to believing lies. I, I had a friend once who... Um, who messed up her ankle pretty good, pretty significantly. And, um, and we were talking and she said, um, you know, I think God did this to me because he didn't want me to do this thing, this other thing. And so that's why he did, he did that's why I'm hurt. That's why he did this. And I remember thinking, that just sounds wrong. Like, who among you, what parent among you would intentionally cause bodily harm to your child to keep them, to prevent them from doing something. Now, I'm not talking about the consequences of your actions. I'm talking, who, why would you, would you intentionally harm your child to prevent them from something that you may or may not want them to do? I mean, we, would, we wouldn't tolerate that. That's called child abuse. And yet, sometimes... We find ourselves thinking some pretty wacky things about God. We ascribe that kind of behavior to him. He did this to teach me a lesson. He did this to keep me from doing something. A lot of wacky stuff gets ascribed to God. Um, early, mid, last century, there was a theologian named A.W. Tozer, and many of you are probably very familiar with this quote. It comes from a book he wrote called the knowledge of the holy. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I remember when I, when I first came across that, I was like, oh, yeah, that's so true. It determines our responses, our actions, our beliefs, our direction, it, a lot. It hint, a lot of things hinge on what we believe about God. So I want us to turn, well, if you don't have your Bible, that's okay. I'm going to, I have mine. And I'm going to read um, something from Exodus 33, just a little portion from Exodus 33. And I'll just give you the context for where we are in the story. Am I too loud? A lisp. Oh, thank you. <laughs> How's that? Um, <clears throat> where was I? Exodus 33. So where we are in the story, I'll just give you the context. Where we are in this story is, is Moses has already led the children of Israel out of um, Egypt. He's already gone up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. He was up there a little too long for everybody else's preference. And so when he came back down, they'd already started their party and made idols and 
you know, a lot of wacky things happened, and now they're regrouping. So that's where we enter the story, is they're kind of regrouping after that. I have big print Bible, but I still need glasses. Sorry. Okay. So Moses, get this, Moses, I love it. Moses and God are having a conversation. I mean, just for starters, wrap your head around that. Moses and God are having a conversation. And Moses says to God, if your presence does not go with me, do not lead us up, or if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be, dis- may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And God said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. I'm going to stop right there. I think that you guys know the rest of the story where he hides Moses in the cleft of the rock and he's, as he passes by. But the thing I want, a couple things I want to point out here. You know, it's really cool that Moses, even then Moses knew that what distinguished these people from all the other people on the earth was God's presence. That was true then and it's true now. God's presence distinguishes us from all the other people on the earth. So God, you know, they're having this conversation and, and God says, you know, you have found favor in my sight and I've known you by name. Well, of course God knows Moses' name. But basically what God is saying is, I know you and I like you. Like imagine that. The God of the universe says to you, I know you and I like you. So I have to believe that in this moment, Moses was just kind of undone. Like, a little undone, wouldn't you be? I would. So Moses says, I pray you show me your glory. Now, glory is another one of those words that's a little, like, glory, nebulous. So, you know, I didn't go to seminary. I'm not seminary trained. So I did what any other intelligent person does when they need to know what something means. Um, I Googled it. And what I found was that one, two definitions, high renown or honor, won by total achievements, magnificence, or great beauty. So here's Moses, sovereign God of the universe, says to him, I know you and I like you. He gets undone and says, show me you. Show me you. Like he knows God's magnificent. He knows God's beauty. He's God's beautiful. He wants to see him. Show me you. So God says, I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you. He didn't say, I'm going to make all my holiness pass before you, all my purity pass before you, all my love pass before you. He chose the word goodness. Now, how many of you have ever been to one of those um, parties where you have to play those icebreaker games and it's like 
give us a word that describes you. Or if you were a tree, what tree would you be? And I'm like, oh, just one? Like, how? I hate those games. It's like, we are complex beings. How can we possibly give ourselves one descriptor? And God is no less complex, certainly, than we are. And yet, in this moment, he chose one word as his descriptor. And that word was goodness. Goodness. All, he, he wrapped himself, all his beautiful, and we could go on and on about the characteristics and the nature of God and who he is. And he himself wrapped himself up in this word, goodness. God gets to describe himself. And God gets to describe, describe goodness, the definition of goodness. So he describes it and he calls himself good. God is good all the time. Amen. It's true. So that quote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I really, I love that. It's still, it's still, I think it's still very, very valuable statement, but somewhere in the last handful of years, I've kind of turned that statement a little bit on its head. Who God says I am and how he feels about me is the most important thing about me. Who God says I am and how he feels about me is the most important thing about me. It's still important what comes into my mind when I think about God, but truly what surpasses that is what comes into God's mind when he thinks about me. That's the most important thing about me. Uh, Bill Johnson, who's the senior leader of Bethel Church in Redding, California, um, wrote a book. Well, he's written a lot of books, but a couple years ago he wrote a book called God is Good, and he says in there, I can't afford to have a thought in my head about me that he doesn't have in his head about me. I'm going to say that again. I can't afford to have a thought in my head about me that he doesn't have in his head about me. Like he really captured the the necessity of it when he said, I can't afford. And why is that? Well, it's the same logic as believing Um, you know, being rooted in the goodness of God. Because if we don't line, if our thinking doesn't line up with his thinking, really about anything, but especially about how he feels about us, then we open ourselves up to believing all manner of lies and wackiness. Um, Tim and I, through the years, have had the incredible um, honor and privilege to minister to a lot of folks And I can honestly say that many, if not all, of the issues that people deal with are directly related to believing lies about who God is and lies about who God says they are. Lies wreak havoc. And they don't just wreak havoc in our own lives. It spreads. It can can wreak havoc havoc in the lives of those around us. Um, About 20 years ago, I I read a book. I read a lot of books. 
And about 20 years ago, I read a book that truly did, at that point in time, it, just, it, just, it was like a hinge moment for me. And it was written by uh, a man named Mike Bickle. I'm sure some of you have heard of him. He's a pastor out in Kansas City. And he wrote a book called Passion for Jesus. It's awesome, awesome. It's a lot about his own story. And he said something in there that at that time in my life just went, it just landed. It, it has become my mantra and, and, you know, when Jared uh, talked about mantras a few years back, I'm like, oh, I got one, I got one. Um, and, and it's this. I am successful because I am loved. I am successful because I am loved. And when I say that, I don't just mean I'm loved by my husband and my family and my community, although those things are extremely valuable to me. But I, I am loved by the sovereign God of the universe who spoke everything into existence by the power of his word, and he holds it all together. This one, this good God, this is the one who loves me. This is the one who loves you. You are successful because you are loved. I'm going to turn to uh, John 17. Again, another very familiar um, uh, scripture. This is the high priestly prayer. This is um, the prayer Jesus prayed in the garden that evening, that night that he was betrayed. You know, he was, he was having a conversation with the Father. He was wrapping his, his years on the earth up. He was wrapping everything up. This is, John 17 is so amazing. You could, you could spend forever in this book. You could preach on it for a year, 10 years, 100 years. There's so much in it. I'm not going to do it. Don't worry. I'm not going to do that right now. I'm going to constrain myself to one point that I want to make in here, or maybe two. Um, so a lot, uh, uh, unity comes up a lot. I'm not preaching on unity, um, but I highly uh, recommend you check it out. But I'm picking up right after Jesus is praying about unity. And this will be familiar. I in them and you in me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. I'll say it again. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Now, you know, these familiar scriptures, we kind of cruise through them. I got to get my little 15 minutes in today, and we just woo, rush right by them. But I just, I just want you to camp out there for a moment. Did you catch what he just said? The Father loves us the way he loves the Son. Like, let that land. Pickle yourself in that. Let that go in. The Father loves us the way he loves the Son. Now, you know, you've got this beautiful community of love, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful community of love. And we've been invited right on into that. We are part of that community with that same kind of love. Not a junior version. That same love. That's the love we're invited into. This incredible, incredible love. You are successful because you are loved. 
It's been said that the value of an object is determined by the price the buyer is willing to pay. I'm going to say that again. It's been said that the value of an object is determined by the price the buyer is willing to pay. Now, I know you all know the price that was paid for us. The Father paid the highest price for us, the price of the precious blood of Jesus. This is our value. This is our worth to the Father. This is what he paid for us. But again, I know that some folks struggle with that. It's like it kind of just bounces off, you know? Like, yeah, God loves me. It's a bumper sticker. But we need to, we need to take some time to meditate on that. Now, I, I had the blessing. This would have been 15-ish more years ago. I had the blessing of a season of time, a couple years, where I had a lot of space in my life, time. And not, it wasn't cluttered and, and, and crowded, even with good things. It was, I had some space. And I meditated on the cross. And what I mean by that is, I, did, I didn't just stare at like a cross. I meditated on the passion of Jesus. Like the actual, I went through all the gospel stories regularly and read and meditated and imagined visually what Jesus went through. Like, it was awful. It was torture. It was, I don't mean to offend little minds, but it was, it was, it was bloody. It, the flesh was ripped. It was awful, awful torture, torture, long, awful, painful. Now, I, I don't go in for like, I don't watch that kind of stuff on TV. I never go near it. I don't click on the headlines on the news when you know it's going to be something like, I just don't go near that. I can't, I can't handle that. But I constrain myself for a season, a very long season of, of regularly meditating on this because I so much wanted to appreciate the price that was paid for me, to really like to absorb it, to wrap myself, to let it wrap me, that I would know it in my knower, the value, my value to the Father. Now, so when I look at the cross, you know, and I, and I, 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 put a, I, I ended up putting a lot of, like, images of, of the cross in my home. Like, I saw one over here, I think. You know, the cross. Um, because when I look at it now, I see love. I see love. I don't see the horror of it. I see love. I hear, I love you. I love you, and I have to tell you, I have to tell you, I have to be honest, that has anchored me so many times. Like, I'm sure this is, I mean, we're all, we've all experienced hard things, but man, that phone call that comes out of the blue when you're, you know, I'm like, you're at home, you're cleaning your house, the phone call comes, and it's tragic news. It's kick you in your gut, knock the wind out of you kind of news, and fall on the floor, screaming and crying, like, this can't be, this can't be, it's not right, it's not right, it's not fair, what's wrong, what happened? I have found myself doing that. I, I, I have this big, um, if you've been in my home, you've seen this big quilt that I have on the wall, it's a cross, it's very simple, but, but it means all this to me when I look at it, and I have, I have been on the ground. Now, it, there's nothing mystical about that piece of art, 
but it's a, it's a, you know, it's a place for me. And I have found myself on the floor screaming, it's not fair. It's not right. Why did this happen? It hurts. And I think that's honest and God can handle it. But the next thought I hear is, or what I hear coming out of my mouth is, but you're good. I don't like it, and it hurts, but you're good, and I can trust you. This person dropped dead. They're too young to die. I don't get it, but you're good, and I can trust you. I don't understand it. I don't like it, but you're good, and I can trust you. I have to tell you, that's happened a few times. And it's that goodness of God. It's that knowing in my knower, in the depths of my being, that he's good and he can be trusted. And that's how I handle the, the tragedies that come. Because you don't know when they're going to come. I love the cross. The cross, it will never lead you astray. It will never wreak havoc or unholy havoc in your life. Um, you've probably heard the phrase barn mentality if you've hung around Renew uh, the last couple years. And I want to just explain that because it has to do with how we see the Father, how we believe the Father feels about us. Um, it comes from one of all of our favorite um, stories, and that is of the prodigal son. Um, and Tim came up with that phrase, barn mentality, because I'm not going to go into the whole prodigal son story. It's very familiar. Um, you know, the, the prodigal comes running home. The father goes out. He puts the sandal on him. He gives him the ring. He wraps the robe on him. He brings him into the house, and he throws a party. This is this, I love it, because this is the story that Jesus is telling to help us understand the character and nature of the father. So, the, the, so, so that night... When, when the food was all gone and eaten and the music faded and, and, the, and the last guest uh, shut the door, walking out, shut the door, and they were outside of earshot, I really don't think the father was like waiting for that last guest to get down the path and then went, okay, off with the robe, off with the ring, off with the shoes, out in the barn. We're going to have a good talk tomorrow. I really don't think that's the father. That is not consistent with the father that Jesus was portraying in this story. And yet, now, <laughs> I'm not saying that the father didn't have a really good conversation with the son the next day. But I don't think that the son spent the night in the barn. I think the son spent the night in the house because that's where the father wanted him. And yet, many of us do walk around with this barn mentality that we're not good enough or it, we're not suitable enough to be in the house. We know the Father loves us, but we'll just go sleep in the barn because that's really where we belong. And that's a lie. The Father wraps himself around us and brings us into the house because that's where he wants us to be. 
presence, identity, the goodness of God, these things become our security. This is the strong place that we can then live out from. You know, when, when, um, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, I meant to say this when I was talking about the cross, when he was, when he was hanging on the cross, I really don't think he was like, oh, that's Cindy. Oh, I just hope she can make it to the end. I just hope she can hang on till the end. She just gets through with her salvation intact. I don't, I don't, think, that's what, I don't think that's what Jesus was thinking. I think when he was up there, I was like, oh, that's Cindy. Oh, how I love her. Oh, I have big dreams for her, powerful dreams for her. Oh, I hope she's out there destroying the works of the devil. I hope she's out there showing love where there's hate, mercy where there's offense, generosity where there is poverty and lack, spreading the kingdom, living an expanding life. That's the kind of thing I think Jesus was thinking and praying and hoping and dreaming for each of us. I don't think that for anybody he was thinking, oh, I just, oh, I just hope they get through. I don't think that's what, I don't think that's what he was thinking. And I, I, I want him to get the full value, the full value of what he paid for me. Full value of what he paid for me. Like, like how many of you have like ever wanted something and you had to save and save and save for it and then you finally go and purchase it and you bring it home? Like you're expecting to get the full value of what you paid for, right? I want, I want God to get the full value out of my life. And I can't do that if I'm not rooted in his goodness Knowing how much he loves me, knowing his thoughts, and this comes from abiding in this presence. Like, ah, we need to be engaged in deep adoration. We need to just let him love on us and love on him. Let him, let us, this, this stronghold be formed. This, this unshakable place that we can live out of, that we can live this expanding life, doing these incredible things, kingdom things that he's called us to. And, and his presence is with us because he knows us and he likes us. And his presence distinguishes us from all the other people on the earth. So I bless you, Renew. I bless you to be rooted in the goodness of God, to let him straighten up that identity of who he is and who you are. Because we have kingdom work to do, right? Like 2020, I don't need to say any more about that. So I bless you each and all in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, 
or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.